you're a visitor with us this morning, I want to introduce myself. My name's Ben. I'm the pastor here at Be Free. Uh, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, you picked, a, like Everett said before, he said it really well, you picked a good morning to come. Because this weekend is the center of everything we do as a church. This weekend is the weekend that we celebrate what Jesus did on Good Friday. When he bore our sins. When he died in our place. When he took our sins with him to the grave. And if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, then that death is the end of our sin. It's finished. But even though that's the end of our sin, it's not the end of our story. Because after Jesus Christ died, taking our sins to the grave, he rose again and he left our sins in the grave. They're finished. His work is done and we're alive. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember on Easter and Good Friday weekend. It's the very center of everything we believe and it's the most important message in the world. So thank you for being with us this morning and really remembering and celebrating that with us this morning. So over the last six weeks, what we've been doing is we've been walking through the last week of Jesus' life. We've been thinking about what happened on Sunday, what happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, through the last week of Jesus' life as a way for us to really prepare our hearts and lead up to today, this weekend, as we celebrate and worship God for what he did for us. And so thank you for being with us this morning as we do that. This morning we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to have the passage up here on the screen behind me. Um, but yeah, let's stop and take a minute right now to quiet our hearts, to put aside any distractions that are in our minds so that we can focus on the Word and what God has to say to us today through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come for one reason, and it's not just for time together with people. It's not just to fulfill a tradition. The one reason we truly come is because we want to come together with people who have come together for the purpose of worshiping you, Lord. Giving you the glory that you deserve, Father. This morning is not about us. This morning is about you. And Father, if Easter, didn't mor Easter morning didn't happen, if you didn't rise from the dead, we wouldn't be here this morning. We'd have no desire to come together and sing songs about you and look at some words talking about you. To be together with people who believe in you, Father, because it would be pointless. It would all be worthless if you stayed in the grave. It would all be worthless if you died and stayed there. But Father, you died on the cross paying for our sins and you rose again proving that you alone had power over the dead. Have power over death. And so, Father, we're so thankful that we are people who have trusted in this truth and through that truth that we might have life in your name. My prayer, Father, this morning is that for those of us who haven't grasped onto that truth, that this would be a morning that we begin to ask ourselves, are we willing to, to bet our eternity on the lie of the resurrection? Or, if it's true, are we willing to bet our eternity on the truth of your life? It all comes down to that, Lord. And I pray that this morning, as we look at this passage, our hearts would be stirred with the truth of what you did, and that it would lead us to worship. Not just through song, and not just through fellowship, but right now, through the words that you gave us in this book of Luke. So Father, use this morning for your glory. Change the way that we think, that we live, we act, and we speak to one another. Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
All right, the book of Luke, chapter 24. So when Jesus died, he died on Friday. And after he died, some men came and they took his body and they took him down from the cross. And they wrapped him in cloth and they laid him in a tomb. Now that happened on Friday. And some followers of Jesus, some women wanted to do something to take care of the body. They wanted to anoint it with spices and ointments to preserve the body. It was a way of honoring the body of the dead person. This was a tradition in Israel. And so in order to know where to go, they followed these men who were taking Jesus down, preparing his body and putting him in a tomb. And we read just a couple of verses before the start of chapter 24 that they followed him and they saw where Jesus was laid. Now that happened on Friday night. Saturday, the next day, was the Sabbath, and so the women weren't able to go and do this, to honor the body in this way. And so Sunday morning was the very soonest time that these women were able to go and honor the dead body of Jesus in this way. And so as we jump into chapter 24, we're going to see these women going to the tomb, looking for the body of Jesus, so that they can prepare his body with ointments and spices for his death. So let's start there. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. And on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what the women would have expected when they came to the tomb, but it definitely wasn't this. I mean, they probably expected to find the soldiers guarding the tomb. They definitely expected to find the tomb still sealed with the, to- with the, with the stone over it. So what they got there, what they found was not what they expected. They found the tomb open. And they don't make tombs with revolving doors. They don't make tombs for the purpose of opening and closing. When a tomb's closed, it's closed. And so the fact that it was open was a problem, most likely. It probably didn't bode well that the tomb of Jesus was open. And so we read in verse 4 that the women were perplexed about this. They were confused about this. They didn't know what to think. Join me in verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. These two men, other gospel accounts, tell us, were angels. And these angels are messengers sent from God to declare messages uh, to the saints. And so in this passage, what we're seeing is that they come to them and they declare amazing news. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. In other words, what are you doing here? Tombs are for dead people. You're looking for an alive person. If you want to find Jesus, he's not going to be here. Because he was dead, but he's not anymore. He's alive. They're declaring this amazing, amazing news to them. And then they say this. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. What the angels are doing is they're they're reminding them of the teachings of Jesus. They're reminding them of what Jesus has said time and again throughout his ministry. And they're not quoting one individual passage from the life of Jesus. Rather, what they're doing is they're really summarizing. They're they're 
forming together a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Things that he said over and over and over again. In Luke chapter 9, we see one of these passages. 9.22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What Jesus is saying is the Son of Man must suffer all these things. This must happen. This was the plan. Jesus told his disciples over and over again that what was going to happen was his death, torture, and resurrection. That was the plan. Again, in verse 18, or chapter 18, he says, For he will be delivered into, uh, over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He said this over and over again throughout his ministry. But the problem was the disciples, his followers, they weren't able to grasp what Jesus was saying. They weren't able to wrap their minds around this, this teaching that Jesus gave them. And it really makes sense why. Even though he said it over and over again, it's, it's actually understandable why they weren't able to wrap their minds around this. Because his disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was the ruler who was going to come and take his seat on the throne of David. They believed that he was going to come and usher in a new kingdom. And of course all that's true. But that belief didn't jive very well with the fact that he was going to die. They didn't understand how Jesus was going to usher in this new kingdom. How he was going to take the throne of David. How he was going to both be the Messiah and the suffering servant. Because the thing is, Jesus claimed his victory as the Messiah. He took his throne by dying. And that wasn't what they expected. Because his death was not a failure. His death was a victory over sin and over death. His death was not a mistake. It was the plan. And while his disciples didn't understand that, the angels now explain that and help the women understand that in this passage. Because we read that they remind the women that it was his plan to die and then to rise again. So this passage ends with the words, and they remembered his words. And I think that's probably implying believed his words. Understood what he was explaining. Understood that this indeed was the plan of Jesus ever since the moment he came into the world. And in fact, ever since the moment of the fall back in Genesis. And so what the women did after that was what anybody would do who's been told good news. Look with me, back in verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. The eleven being the twelve apostles minus, minus Judas. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale and they did not believe him. And we can sympathize with that as well. <laughs> because people don't just rise from the dead. Death is final. We know that. If I'm honest with you, if I was in that room and some people ran into the room telling me that somebody who I knew to be dead had risen again from the dead, I would find it really hard to believe too. And besides, in this culture, in this day, the word of a woman didn't stand up very well. For better or for worse. Well, for worse. I'll just say for worse. I don't want to get in trouble there. But the, the, they didn't believe the story. They believed that it was an idle tale. And so they dismissed this account, believing that it was just 
a mixture of an overactive imagination and wishful thinking. But when Peter heard this, he had to see for himself. Peter had to see with his own eyes whether what the women were saying was true. So the next verse tells us this. Verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw that the linen cloths were there by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now at this point, Luke shifts. He changes his story to talk about another group of disciples, another group of followers of Christ. And in this story, there's two men, two men who've been walking with Christ, who believe that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. And they're walking to the west of Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. Now as they're on their way, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about everything that's been going on this past week. How Jesus was teaching in the temple, enraging the Pharisees, was killed. And as they're talking about this, a man comes and walks alongside these two disciples. And this man we know is Jesus. Though the crazy thing in this story is that they don't understand this is Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus. For some reason, as they're walking along, their eyes are blind to the reality of who they're walking with. And as they're going, they're telling Jesus about what's been happening in Jerusalem. They're telling Jesus his own story. And as they're going, Jesus begins to explain to them by opening up the Old Testament scriptures just exactly what's going on, what's been happening in Jerusalem. And he helps them understand that what's been happening in Jerusalem was not a mistake, but it was according to plan. That this man who came truly fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they still didn't understand it was Jesus. By the end of the time, they get to the house in Emmaus, this town to the west of Jerusalem, and they sit down to eat a meal. And at that point, Jesus takes a loaf of bread on the table, and he breaks it. And as soon as Jesus breaks that loaf of bread, they get it. Their eyes are open. They understand. This man they've been walking with is Jesus. They just didn't recognize him in his resurrection body. But the moment that they understand that they've been talking to Jesus this whole time, he disappears. It's an amazing story. And we're actually, we're going to skip over this story in this passage so that we can get on to what happens next. But this is what we see following out of those two men's conversation with Jesus. Look with me in verse 33. And they rose that same hour, these two men, and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. This is actually true. The story that the women are telling is actually the case. And he appeared to us, uh, sorry, he appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them by the breaking of bread. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. They thought they saw a ghost. I mean, just imagine that. Even though the women testified to finding an empty tomb. Even though the women told a story of two angels explaining what happened here. Even though Peter went and saw the empty tomb for himself. Even though the men on the road to Emmaus met Jesus in his resurrected body. Even though Jesus was standing right there in front of them. Even still, they refused to believe that he was alive. They couldn't wrap their minds around it. 
They thought that they saw a spirit. They were, they were refusing to see what was staring them right in the face. That Jesus Christ, God himself, had risen from the dead. In other words, they didn't know what was happening. But what was happening couldn't be what it looked like was happening. Jesus couldn't truly be right there in front of them. This must have been a trick of the imagination. A mixture of wishful thinking and an extravagant imagination. But in the next verse, in verse 38, Jesus speaks to them. And this is what he says. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate before them. So in this passage, Jesus knows they don't believe. He knows that they're doubting. He knows that they've decided that he's not just, um, he's not a man, but a ghost, but a spirit. And so what he does is he says this, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. They still don't believe. And in this passage it says, That they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. In other words, this was too good to be true. We can't believe what's actually happening in front of us. And so again, Jesus proves it. And he does so by eating fish. That's strange. But here's the point. Ghosts don't eat fish. That's that's what I'm going to name the sermon for today. Ghosts don't eat fish. But the point that we're seeing in this passage is Jesus is truly, totally, fully, genuinely alive. And he's proving it to them. He's got hands. He's got feet. He's got flesh. He's got bones. He eats. He's not a ghost. He's not a hoax. He's not a figment of their imagination. He's real. He's alive. And he wants to make absolutely sure that they understand this. He is actually alive. And so this next moment is a massive moment in the history of the church. It's it's a massive moment in the history of the world. Because in this moment, the disciples get it. It makes sense to them. It clicks. They understand. This is not a ghost. This is a real live human being. He was dead and now he's alive. This is not psychosis. This is a miracle. That's what is so clear to them in this moment. And they transition from doubt and hesitancy to a rock solid faith. A faith that is so strong that it leads them out into the nations. A faith so strong that they're willing to die for their belief that this is not a ghost, but a real, live, living human being. A faith so strong that the entire church's foundation is built upon it. I just want to stop for a moment to share with you something that I think is amazing in this passage. And it's something that we can think about and something that we can be encouraged by. The disciples doubted Jesus' resurrection. Right? They thought about it, and they thought, that can't be true. This is ridiculous. Men don't rise from the dead. And they dismissed it. They dismissed it until they met Jesus. Because for us today, when we think about this idea of somebody rising from the dead, that's a crazy thing to believe. If we're honest with ourselves, the idea that somebody rose again from the dead, never to die again, is crazy. 
But the only way that we can get past the craziness of what's happening here is if we meet Jesus Christ. It's only when we come to have a true faith in Jesus Christ, a true relationship with Jesus Christ, that we can testify as boldly, as strongly, and, as, and with as much confidence as the disciples that this is not a hoax, but this is real. That Jesus Christ is not dead. That this story is not made up just to help people feel better. But that this is a true thing that happened in history. That Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And so now the disciples, they get it. They believe. They understand. And now that they believe, Jesus pounces upon this opportunity to instruct them. In the next couple of verses, start with me in verse 44. Here he explains, he sends, and he promises. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, that is the entire Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's a lot in that passage. That's a thick, that's a thick couple sentences. But if we were to break it down, I think we can break all that down to three sentences, and this is it. Number one, he equips them with the power, of, or he equips them with the understanding of the scriptures, number one. Number two, he sends the disciples on mission into the world with that understanding of the scriptures. And number three, he promises to give them the power of the Holy Spirit to go on that mission. That's how we can summarize everything in that last passage. But I think for us, as we're looking at this paragraph... What's more important for us than understanding those three things is this. We need to see that before he equips them with understanding, before he sends them to the nations, before he gives them the power to do so, he wants to make absolutely sure they be, that they understand that he is truly, sincerely, surely, genuinely, indisputably, irrefutably alive. That is the first priority. He needs to make sure that that is true before he moves on to anything else. Because if this fact is not true, if his resurrection is not true, then everything else is meaningless. If Jesus Christ never truly raised from the dead, then they going out to share these things would be a total waste of time. It would be a lie. It would be foolishness that they would be preaching to the world. And Paul says it better than I ever could in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what Paul says about the importance of the resurrection. If Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ have perished. There's no hope. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, then we of all people are most to be pitied. And this is what he's saying. 
If Jesus is dead, he was no Messiah. He is not the anointed ruler who sits on the throne of David. But since Jesus is alive, he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven, ruling over his kingdom, ruling over his creation. If Jesus is dead, then no one has ever broken the power of sin and death. But if Jesus is alive, then we have a Lord who has proven himself powerful over the grave. If Jesus Christ is dead, we stand condemned. But if Jesus Christ is alive, we stand justified. If Jesus Christ is dead, then we too are dead in our trespasses. But if Jesus Christ is alive, then we too are alive, set free from the power of sin and death. If Jesus Christ is dead, then we of all people are most to be pitied. But if Jesus Christ is alive, then we are the most fortunate of people. And this is why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning. Because if Jesus Christ died on the cross and stayed dead, then we are in big, big, big trouble. But because Jesus Christ is alive, we are bound for glory. And to put it simply, if Jesus Christ is dead, church dismissed. Don't come back. It's pointless. Sleep in Sunday mornings. Save your time for more important things. And don't be a fool and come and worship with us. I'm not coming. But if Jesus Christ is alive, because Jesus Christ is alive, he is the Messiah, currently reigning. He has power over sin and death. Then you would be foolish not to follow him. You would be foolish not to submit yourself to him. You would be foolish not to give everything for his glory, for his name's sake. You would be foolish not to surrender all at the feet of your king. It all comes down to, is Jesus Christ dead or is Jesus Christ alive? And we have to, de we have to declare as his people that Jesus Christ is truly alive. He rose from the dead three days after the crucifixion. And he still is alive today, ruling over all, ruling over us. So do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive? Do you trust in that? Have you found your hope in the fact that he died for your sins and in rising again, that we who are united with him, who find our hope in him, will too be raised with him from the dead? at the day that he comes to gather the saints to himself. Be free, this is the center of everything we believe. It's the most important thing. So thank you so much this morning for remembering and worshiping him for it this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this truth is something that we talk about all the time, and the reason that we talk about it all the time is because it's the most important thing in the world to talk about. We've been gifted to know, uh, to know the life that comes from knowing the God who has power over death, Father. And uh, you, you earn the power over death when you defeated death, rising from the dead. But Father, you still have it just as much.